Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome to a new episode of Ukraine Plus Football. We bid farewell to a chaotic January and have already ushered in the month of the winter debuts, February. Last winter's window had so much promise with heaps of incomings to the UPL, but sadly we never saw any of those quality signings ever end up playing for their respective Ukrainian clubs due to the full-scale invasion that broke out a year ago this month. Fast forward 12 months, and we're sat here with a very different series of events from a footballing perspective that have unfurled. Not too much quality has come into the UPL, but so many top Ukrainian talents have managed to find themselves clubs in some of the world's top leagues. It's something we've been hoping to see for years. Young, and in some cases, old, Ukrainian talent finally given the opportunity to develop in a top league and allowed to leave at a still malleable age. Strap yourselves in then as we go through all the ins and outs of the UPL transfer window 2023, which hasn't closed just yet. All the other moves outside of it and plenty of performances to be reviewed on actual football pitches too. Was this the greatest Ukrainian transfer window ever? It's it's a great debate, isn't it? Hello, everyone. Of course, it's good to be back with you all again after a few weeks on the Ukraine Plus Football podcast. For me, when we started this podcast back in the good old COVID days of 2020, we were all getting excited about potential moves to the Belgium League. And the people on the Belgian Football Podcast you know, wonderful people, and we got a lot of respect for your league. But now, with a window like this, for me, it is most definitely the greatest transfer window of my brief experience of Ukrainian football. Well, I'm looking here today at a man who's been watching Ukrainian football a lot longer than me, even at his tender age. But, Ray, is it for you the greatest window ever? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Uh, an honor to be here as well, guys. And uh, talking about transfer windows, yeah, I, I remember plenty of those. And we we were looking back at uh, industrial era in Ukrainian football when we have metalurgs, metalists, crew buses. We, ha- we still have crew bus, but the different one now. And we had this uh, Balkan era, Yugoslavian players, Brazilians, of course, Latin Americans. Then we moved into the um, Ukrainian Revolution days, Maidan, and there was more Ukrainian youngsters coming in. And then they were coming out to Belgium, as you said. And now we're looking at like the third act, you know, like the third renaissance probably of uh, Ukrainian football, the proper one, when our stars are actually uh, moving during the winter transfer window, which and being paid for. You know, and even moving on to the clubs owned by 
proper legends like David Beckham into Miami, right? <laughs> and uh, that is for me, uh, as you know, as an appreciator of FIFA football series, although I don't play FIFA 23, but now it's like a dream come true. You know, every year you play FIFA, you buy all the Ukrainian players in your team, you start a career mode, and there you go. And now we have all the top players, basically, which you could have in the notable teams. You don't have to find them for three days. You don't have to go to Belgian League, which is quite boring, to be honest. And uh, for in history of Ukrainian football, that's a new page and uh, even a new chapter. I wouldn't say that it's a promising one because you will remember the Spanish uh, guys who, um, like Vasil Kravet, he spent about five years in Spain and came back to Vorskla, and we know where, where Vorskla is now. So I wouldn't go ahead and, uh, you know, making bright future uh forecasts for the guys but so far it's looking good and it's a pleasure to see um you know english clubs looking at ukrainian league and being uh, notified of uh, ukrainian talents was the one transfer out of all of them that really surprised you in particular one that sort of caught you by caught you by surprise when oh i can't believe that he's been allowed to leave yeah in all honesty, uh, I think the main talk over the past, I don't know, last two weeks of the transfer window was Mikola Matvienko trying to join Brighton and then Shakhtar wanting 30 million for him. And in the end, he didn't go, which we'll touch on in a bit later. And then out of nowhere, really, Ilya Zabarny was being linked, first of all, to Aston Villa um, from the Sun. So obviously... There's no guarantee that that was sort of really credible at any point. But the team that came to shock everyone was Bournemouth. Uh, and it's the kind of club that, especially after the news that we saw in the summer, where apparently Dinamo rejected 25 million for uh, Zabani from Spurs. He ends up at Bournemouth, which arguably is a lot worse of a club. For similar money from the sounds of it. Okay, it sounds like around 24 million, then some bonuses of 5 million and then potentially, you know, 20% sell on when he gets sold. And it's quite a good deal, all in all, really, isn't it? I mean, he's safe to say the most promising Ukrainian defender at the moment in terms of youth. Uh, he's had a lot of hopes on him. He's certainly stagnated, maybe not regressed, but stagnated this season for sure playing in quite a terrible Dynamo team and possibly Luchescu went to Sorkis and said, listen, this is not really benefiting anyone here. And if you really want to get a bit of a decent amount of money for him, you may as well sell him now whilst uh, someone's offering some big bucks for him like Bournemouth did. And it obviously it took everyone by surprise and he's there. They're in a massive relegation scrap and he's going to have to be playing you know with his it's going to be a real baptism of fire for the remainder of the season getting involved in the Premier League on top of that I think he's got the you know physical attributes to be successful to be a successful centre-back he's bulky tall enough as well good in the air I think he should and at the age that he's gone he should have plenty of time to develop even even if that potentially means that he goes to the championship for a season because at the moment you've got uh, the likes of Sheffield United uh, you've got Anoa Ahmadozic, who's a top, top centre-back. 
Uh, and he's like one of the best defenders in the, in the league. And I'm sure that from next season, regardless of if Gerald United go up or not, he'll be moving to a big club um, as well. So I think that that moving at the age of 20, you know, going to be 21 in, I think in May or whatever, it should be quite um, a good move for him going forward. Now that he's got, he just, he's done it. He's, he's left the golden cage, as they say. And now everything's really... Um, Fingers crossed can work out. Well, the golden cage certainly has melted or smelted, isn't it, with gold? Uh, <laughs> this January, uh, not much gold left in Dinamo's uh, stores these days, but there's certainly a bit of cash coming in giveaway. For me, yeah, Bournemouth, very interesting club. Obviously, new owners came in, when was it, in the summer? Michael Jordan on the board. <laughs> We're going to set a challenge to everyone to come up with the best puns there, Jordan-related puns that we can link to Zabani before the next episode, but watch this space with those. Um, Gary O'Neill is young coach, but as a player, he was somebody I certainly had a lot of respect for in his Portsmouth days in particular, and I think he's somebody that will, will help Zabani develop especially as he gets used to the English game. And he, he was, I was glad that he wasn't in the squad this weekend. You know, as we've said, you know, these guys, they've not played for a long time. So it was it was good that they didn't thrust him in, put him in the, on the bench, risk, risk him having 10 minutes or something like that. They've said, no, we're going to wait for you to build up your fitness and then hopefully... He'll, he'll be into the relegation fight pretty quickly because they do look a mess there. Well, uh, I mean, big transfer off of the window. <laughs> the one that got everyone talking and excited, first of all, was uh, Mr. Mudrick and uh, made his home debut Friday night to slightly disappointing results. But uh, Andrew, you were there. Ray, you watched it on TV. Uh, where did it all go wrong? Well, having seen it live in the stadium at Stamford Bridge, I don't think he's fully to blame. The excuses or the reasoning that Graham Potter came out with afterwards for him being subbed at halftime was that he had a cold earlier on in the week and he wasn't feeling fully uh, fit. So he was only going to play 45, 60 minutes maximum. Sadly, obviously, he got hooked at half time. However, in general, you just look at Chelsea and honestly, if Mudrick wasn't there, I would not watch another game of theirs this season because they actually look terrible um, in terms of tactical setup. Um, for whatever reason, they just play so bad. They've got some good players in there. Enzo Fernandez looks a fantastic signing. Um, their centre-backs are really good too. But for whatever reason, Mudrick despite the fact how he completely sort of took everyone uh, by surprise and like made a massive impression in that debut against Liverpool, where he had 35 minutes to run into plenty of space to sort of play on the break and use all that pace that is probably his biggest strength. He had none of that against Fulham. Uh, and it wasn't that he was even being man-marked. It's just that he was hugging the touchline so I don't know, he was tugging the touchline so um, so close to it that it meant that 
Mount was running into all those spaces that Mudrick should have been in. And it's like, is there a tactical issue going on there at the moment? It seems, it seems the case. And Mount is just, doesn't seem to be on that same wavelength as Mudrick at the moment. Like there was a couple passes where Mudrick tried to find someone, they were just sort of off key. Or like if he was going for like a one-two combination, it just never paid off. And also Chelsea looked to be predominantly playing, and this is what some Chelsea fans say, that they predominantly focus on the right-hand side because they've got Reese James there who's relatively good in, a, in attack from right back and Hach, Hakim Ziyech. And that's where the majority of all those runs that Mudrik would have wanted to were give, being given to Ziyech. And they still weren't coming up with anything. And then you've got Kai Havertz up front who can't, you know, finish finish his dinner, let alone score score goals. So the, the reality is, is that the club is a bit of a mess. And we'll see next week when they're playing West Ham whether Mudrik starts or whether he's going to be back on the bench again, you know, and this is where we're going to have to see how psychologically re- resilient he is uh, because all the memes started straight away during the game, after the game. And I'm sure that Mudrik certainly watches, uh, looks into that because we know he's on social media. So you've probably seen on Instagram, you know, all the memes about how is that going to affect him psychologically? Um, how is it going to dent his confidence uh, being hooked off at halftime, regardless if he was ill or not, you know, that just, it doesn't look great, does it? from like a optics point of view. And I think that he probably should have been given another 15 minutes potentially because the players that came on Maduweki and then Sterling were playing on the left wing at, for parts of the game. They look no, they didn't look any better than Mudrik. So in general, I think, yeah, this, the remainder of this season is just going to be gelling a bit more in the team, but the, the, the actual play that's going on, maybe when Jao Felix comes back, there might be a bit more creativity linkage between the two. But going off what happened on um, on Friday against Fulham, it's going to be a bit of a struggle uh, to watch, to even watch some of these Chelsea games um, if they're going to be carrying on using Mudrik in that way where, you know, he's playing with Cucurella behind him and Mount in front of him kind of thing. One of my friends who's a good Chelsea fan said he's essentially Mudrik. Um, is like a, you know, Wagyu beef steak in between... Um, in between a shit sandwich. So um, there we have it. We'll see what happens coming up. Very apt metaphor there. Very apt metaphor. I saw, saw some analysis after the game where they, you know, Mason Mount was playing like a, a false number nine more than a central midfielder. He was so far out of position throughout the game and there's talk of him getting a new contract there at the moment, which, yeah, club does seem a mess, but... I still stick with my point from the last episode where that it's great to see him in London and not playing for Shakhtar in getting these experiences. Even though it was it was not a good night on Friday from my point of view, um, he he will learn from it one way or another. Graham Potter, he is a good coach. He's proven it a number of clubs during his career, his managerial career. And I think players like Mudrick can learn from him if they have the time and the patience to to work on the work on these issues for one of them. But it will take time, you know. It's it's a huge change, and yeah, Chelsea, the Chelsea of now compared to the Chelsea of what it should be in August, I think be like chalk and cheese. I mean, Ray, did you did you see it that way or through a different lens? Well, 
I've been following Chelsea for quite a while, and I, I officially envy Andrew to be uh, to be able to see the game live in Stamford Bridge because that's my dream to end up in that stadium one day. But yeah, actually, since we discussed Chelsea with um, uh, Euro expert uh, on our Mudrik special, um, nothing much changed because now this is it's not the club which you would love to see, you know, which you would love to spectate. They have this bunch of newcomers, good transfers, promising players, but something's going on in the dressing room, obviously. And I could not, could not agree with you, Adam. I don't think Potter has it in him. You know, he's just not the man for the job. We remember Maurizio Sarri, uh, struggling in Chelsea, everybody writing him off, sending him away, hung out to dry. But he won the Europa League and then he left, you know, smoking his huge amount of cigarettes every time on the sideline. But this is a different case. I mean, we have the boards, the Americans, you know, blowing all this money into the club, but no real strategy, no real vision. Mudrik amongst it. I mean, the one thing I need to, we need to consider, and he needs to consider actually, just like Andrew said, how is it going to affect him psychologically? It's great to see him in London, but is that enough? You know, Chelsea had a plenty of uh, players like that, um, plenty of transfer windows like that in, back in the day. So, well, it's a shame, but uh, bottom line is they are where they belong now with Liverpool, ninth and tenth spot in Premier League. Fair comment, fair comment. Uh, I'd love to know what people think at home. We always appreciate your comments on on these things as well, and we always read them when you pop up on Twitter and on the all the other social media pages. On a slightly better note, we had a surprising result on Saturday in the EPL. The lunchtime kickoff was the all Ukrainian affair, Mikolenko against Zinchenko. Odds on the Arsenal victory, a, a very dogged performance by Everton under their new manager, Sean Dyche. And yeah, shock result there, or maybe not so much of a shock result, listening to Arsenal fans, given their recent run of results at Goodison. But, uh, I mean, Andrew, I think you uh, you certainly watch a lot more EPL than me. Uh, Sean Dyche, I was you know, very successful at Burnley, sort of manager that Michelenko's going to benefit from uh, Everton. I'd agree. I think we sort of already have seen it early, early doors with that game against Arsenal. You know, he likes trying to go a bit basic. Well, at least four at the back is good for McCollincourt. He's not going to be playing as a wing back, um, which I think that he's a lot weaker tactically to be playing. And maybe his crossing and just his general attacking isn't as strong as his defensive capabilities. And as a result, I think we saw that it was just very structured. He was doing well in the duels against Saka for the majority of the game, one of the best wingers in the league this season. And in general, it seems like there's a bit of solidity that Sean Dyche has brought in there. Um, like he knows what he's doing compared to when I was watching matches under Frank Lampard, the whole team just looked clueless. I think we'll probably be seeing more goals from set pieces and similar things like that under Sean Dyche. Very basic sort of uh, proper uh, Mike Bassett style. But <laughs> regardless of that, it's going to get the job done at the end of the day. And um, I think McCulloch is going to benefit from that most most definitely. And hopefully it will even make him a better defender. And the fact that he started in this first game as the starting left back 
also brings confidence to me. Like there's been a lots of hate on Twitter, etc., from different Evertonian fans are saying, oh, he's like the worst player ever. He's not the level of the Premier League. But I think a lot of those people are just very, um, you know, just the, the way that football fans are. They just get very frustrated with the team playing crap and using for trying to find scapegoats when McCulloch must be an easy one because he's relatively low key. He's not been playing probably the best football he has been over the past few months. But we can see what's good in store and fingers crossed um, they can stay up. Albeit it's going to be interesting because obviously it's Mikolenko versus Zabadny in the relegation yeah. fight. So <laughs> that's going to be quite quite a tough one. And I mean, somehow you could even see maybe two Ukrainians in the, <laughs> in the championship next season, albeit whether they would actually stay at those clubs and not get loaned out somewhere or something. Um, is another question if that were to happen. Uh, on top of that, Zinchenko, another great performance from him. Sadly, obviously, they lost, but very commanding performance once again, coming in as the inverted um, fullback, really dominating midfield, that trying to help with the tempo and just general leadership skills. Like literally over the past, over the past like month or so, he looks like proper captain material. I'd probably give him the captain's arm, but obviously highly biased, but he looks like that kind of material. And I think we know for a fact that the moment that Yermolenko gets um, retires from Ukraine duty, he's going to be given that armband um, sooner rather than later. And if Odegaard hadn't been given it recently, then um, he might very much be in contention for that. But vice-captaincy potentially could be coming up. Yes, it's a little blip for them in the season, but... We'll see how they take it. Luckily for them, Man City also dropped point th this weekend. So it sort of continues to go in their favour. And you add everything that Man City are currently being investigated for regarding um, financial fair play, all the hundred breaches, great new lawyer assigned to their case. So even they may win it. But there's also the rumours that they might get relegated. They might get points deductions. So it seems to be like regardless of what happens, this is Arsenal season to lose. <laughs> Interesting thoughts. It's going to be a going to be a great run in in England over the the remaining few weeks. Of course, Yama looks out injured at the moment for Brentford. Uh, not quite sure how long for, but uh, we we know he's just on the fringes, isn't he, of the first team squad? There, be nice to see him get some game time for the end of the end of the year. But Ray, I have a confession. I was wrong. I thought Sagankov wouldn't get any game time for Girona this season. I actually thought he he was just going there as kind of a yeah sort of a parking place. But hey, thirteen minutes, he's already starting to pay back that couple of million. Be happy with it? Uh, I cannot tell. I cannot say much, but I'm happy that he starts to come out the come out from the uh, bench. I wouldn't say that he would be a proper starter. In the remainder of the season, it's still, you know, adaptation. Like, we usually talk about adaptation when someone comes to Dynamo and not leaving Dynamo, but we're going to touch on that in a bit, like on the Ukrainian transfers. But usually when someone comes to Ukraine, they say, oh, he needs six months to adapt. I think that's Tsikharkov's case, but in the other way around. However, I'm going to say that these six months are going to be terminal for him, <laughs> you know, uh, decisive, because yeah. uh, if he just like chills out in Spain uh, during this time and he says like, I'm adapting, 
I'm learning Spanish, then it's not going to work. He has to prove something, you know, that so uh, not only on the pitch, but in, in the trainings, first of all, because Girona is, you know, a club with ambitions. It's um, a city group club. So, yeah, it's it has some of those um, uh, smoke and mirrors elements, you know. Yeah, definitely so, definitely so. I was shocked to see Booning uh, get a, a surprise start in in La Liga there. Uh, Andrew, did you see any of any of that one? And it was a bit of a comical goal, but I don't think was he to blame, or was it the centre half more at fault? I would give the centre half um, the blame there. I mean, there's not really much that could have been done from his point of view, in my opinion. And I mean, good that he got a surprise start. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Courtois out for a lengthy period of time so he can get some uh, more game time in there, especially after the fact that he's not moved to Real Oviedo on loan, which was being heavily rumoured a few weeks ago. Didn't go anywhere. And now he's been rewarded by being the number one keeper at the FIFA Club World Cup. Yes, it's a Mickey Mouse trophy, but another bit of silverware, another few starts, hopefully. By the time I think people are listening to this, they should have already played their first game against Al-Ali. And yeah, hopefully he can continue to get a few more appearances before the end of the campaign and then possibly move on to a new club. Hey, famous Dinamo Golden Cage. Um, we've seen Zabani slip through it. We've seen Sigangov slip through it. And Besedin, he's got out of there as well. I mean, it was so off the radar. I, had, I hadn't even noticed he'd gone. But according to Andrew, he's, he's, he's wound up in Cyprus, I believe. What was the any reasons behind that? Well, as far as I'm aware, he was in talks with a Turkish second division club and very close to signing for them just the day before. There was links that he was signing for AEL Limassol and then in the end he went to Ammonia. Spoke to a um, good friend of the pod, Stel, from uh, Shoot the Defence and uh, this is Mapa, No Kofters, obviously massive Ammonia fan, massive um, media person over there and he says that Essentially, they had just sold their best player to one of their top six rivals. Um, so, essentially, they needed to bring in a new centre forward, and they brought in Besedin, who <laughs> was uh, why <laughs> was uh, obviously that's what was on offer uh, at a last minute at a last minute um, cut price. But there has been obviously. Um, Already a guarantee of, of no goals. <laughs> There's been a lot of backlash, sadly, um, for him. Obviously, loads of memes from Dynamo fans, loads of people commenting on the on the post saying, "Oh, good luck, thank you for taking him," all that kind of stuff. We know that Besedin isn't the sharpest tool in the shed, and in I don't know recent years, he's been filmed making uh, homophobic comments in an interview that he did. Um, getting punched in the face at some drunken party or something and other things. And Ammonia fans have found the interview where he has been making those homophobic comments and they are like, how dare the club sign this player? This is a disgrace, uh, everything else. So in general, we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Do you know what would, wouldn't actually surprise me somehow if he starts scoring there and it will just prove that the Dynamo sort of centre-forward curse is a real thing. Obviously, no one can play up front for them. Um, now they've got Vanat and Sukraha. 
I've got a feeling that Sipraka will be staying. He's scored in their last two friendlies. Whoa. There you go. Good good form there going on into the second half of the season. Make him maybe he can finally sort of catch on and start hitting the ground running after his move from Deep Pro One a few years ago. And on top of that, there's not much competition. Obviously, they've got Matt V Ponomaranko who's coming up from the sort of under 19s that has been promoted to the team, training with them for a bit, made his debut. But this is sort of this new new era. We'll see if Vanat's the one that, that will keep his place. If it's going to be Subrava, who will? But um, Kulac has also gone. He went to Azerbaijan. I mean, I don't think many people are surprised by that because he never really played. He was either injured or Luchescu just never rated him, even from his time at Shakhtar. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, Besedin's gone. And now there's no one to pour the coffee on the on the bench. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. The joys of Dinama. I see, yeah, I saw Cipriaga scoring those goals. What do you think? Circus is going to be flogging him for about 25 million as well now, looking for some random club. Yeah, hitting straight back to Sampdoria, um, you yeah. know. <laughs> so, sorry, Max, if you are listening. Um, but yeah, as we mentioned earlier on, uh, groups are to Inter Milan. Inter Milan. You see, I'm so excited about European football here. I'm in Inter Miami. Uh, for me, I think that money probably surprised me more than Sabani because I'm surprised he's gone to the US. Or is it because I'm underestimating the MLS here? Does the MLS deserve more credit, uh, Ray? Now, you're in North America now. You are our guy. Uh, I am, and I'm so excited for the guys moving here, like to El Paso, you know, Kostishin and Artem Holod previously. It's great. In terms of crypto, I was as surprised as you, Adam, because, <laughs> you know, back in the day, we know what MLS looked like. You know, we had like guys like Stoichkov or Jorkaev playing here and or Romario. But now it's a new thing. It's David Beckham's club uh, from Florida obviously, and uh, it's a nice scenery, and Kriftsov, of all people, right? Uh, everybody's joking that he cannot swim, you know, as referring to the famous video game, but it's probably also because of his social media profile. Uh, somehow, somehow I tend to believe that, because uh, there is a suspicion of that, because he's, he's known to be, to come across as a humorous guy who has a way with social media and people and, you know, the, all these uh, connections probably that uh, overall it's a it's a good signing um, predominantly for him like there's still plenty of work and hopefully Griftov is going to as we always say establish a good Ukrainian image in Florida I think that the MLS is actually a very good level of football I think that he's probably gonna the main reason I think he's gone there is because he wants some game time Obviously, at Shakhtar he's not been getting that at all in recent seasons because Matvienko even Bondar is starting ahead of him. Um, and they've also signed Rakitsky, you know. Uh, so they've got all of that at the back and they've got Kozik coming through. So essentially, the fact is that his contract was coming to an end in the summer. He was probably going to be leaving anyway, potentially. And, you know, for the safety of his family, he's got three kids. He can take them to America. They'll be living there with him, I assume. And, you know, he can kick on with his career there. Phil Neville, obviously going to be his manager, I think really, really took to him, really wanted to to sign him. He wanted that experience in his back line. And, 
But yeah, Kristoff might not be that good as he used to be, you know, to be starting for the in the Champions League for Shakhtar, for example. But I think he's more than capable of playing in in MLS, where he's going to be getting competitive games week in week out. Still, um, you know, against some top forwards who got plenty of pace over there, going to be interesting, in my opinion. And who knows, even. Um, Messi or the likes of Neymar might turn up over there at some point soon as well for, you know, he signed a contract for two years. I think he's got an option of another one. So that'll take him into, you know, 34, 35. Um, yeah, I don't blame him at all. And I think that's probably a good move all round for everyone that Shakhtar, you know, don't need him necessarily. So he can sort of got a fresh start, boost, boost the defence and hopefully help them kick on with trying to challenge for that MLS title, which has been a real struggle since they were founded, you know, two, three years ago. Yeah, the sporting director really, really liked him over there, Chris Henderson. Um, and the, surprisingly, I got to speak to a couple of their scouts this week, and I know they put a lot of work in on on, on his signing and checked every nook and cranny. Curious, I think you saw a, a tongue-in-cheek comment about Stepanenko following him in in a couple of years, which would be nice. would be nice. You could see a, a little Ukrainian community growing in South Florida, which would be a nice change anyway. Transfers. We've still got the Sobel one to discuss. Already starting to maybe go a little bit wrong. At time of recording, he was dropped um, after, what, three games in... Surprised he went to Strasbourg. And when you look at Strasbourg a little bit closer there, they're not the greatest team in the world. So it's, uh, I think it was a, a, a no-lose either, either way. I don't think Strasbourg is that bad. I mean, Jose Luis Chilavert played for them back in the day. Back in the day, but in 2023, they're pretty bad. <laughs> I have to say, they've Aston Villa's backup or third choice left back on loan as well for the rest of the season and he was selected over Sobol uh today in the in the win so it's uh yeah not looking not looking too good there in my eyes anyway Ruslan Molovsky slight slow start to life in France had a bit of controversy where he was uh caught hugging shaking hands with Golovin from uh, Monaco recently and his wife got involved which was obviously not needed because we know that if she, when she gets involved it ends up being a bit messy sometimes he apologized in the end for doing it it's just why can't footballers just have a brain sometimes you know when there's cameras involved and everything and just you know just not do stuff like that um however at time of recording he actually has scored his first goal in league on uh, he came off the bench. He was his, he was benched um, after recent, you know, just not being that impactful for for Marseille in recent matches. He came on at half time against Nice. They were two 0 down. He scored two uh, one, and then they lost three one in the end. But good to see him off off and running. Uh, a goal from inside the box. Let's see what happens in the future. But um, Marseille looked to be okay in the league at the moment, and time will tell. But um, Incomings, incomings. Let's start with 
what for me was a slightly sadder, sadder one, the, the Shakhtar. I mean, it's always nice to see people taking a punt on youth. 18-year-old from Venezuela, Kelsey coming in, but good move, or is he going to take the place of someone like well, Sikan or, or someone like that? Is he taking the spot of a Ukrainian in the squad, or has he actually got some potential, this lad? Well, I asked our friends at Footvay, uh, who came on a, a year or so ago to talk to us about... Uh, Ramirez essentially they say that he's looks quite talented got some promise but whether he's going to be a starter straight away is probably unlikely because he's not had much senior football at all um so probably a bit of a slow burner but he has been included in the Europa League squad so I guess that says a lot and uh speaking about Vunic he actually is no longer a FC Zurich player um he's gone to a team in Austria I can't remember. Second tier. Second tier. There you go. Well, if he gets some minutes, then fair enough. I think he technically is still a uh, Shakhtar player. He's just Mm -hmm. on loan. So if he can get a bit um, playing there, because he wasn't getting anything at Zurich, really. I don't even think he scored a goal there for them. Uh, Competitive matches anyway. So uh, time will tell for that one. Fake the Nipro. Winner of the (laughs) transfer window in your eyes. I would say so. In terms of Ukrainian sides, for sure. Dinamo have lost key players. Uh, you can say that Besedin's rubbish, but yeah, he is a starter, whatever. And the team is, is the main. Tankov's the main guy. They've lost him. Have they brought anyone else in at the moment? No, they're being linked with like a third tier Brazilian striker. Classic. Um, <laughs> also, the good friends at Dinamo Kiev Inside recently posted that. Dinamo will be bringing in a mature centre-forward, whatever that means. Um, won't reveal his name, though. Top of that, Suprache is going to be staying. Andrievsky is going to be staying. But no, Andrei Yermolenko is going to be staying at Alain. On top of that, Shakhtar, obviously, they've lost Mudrik. Gonna, I think it's going to be very difficult for them in the second half of the season, especially in Europe. Uh, without him, just everything that he brings. But their squad is still relatively capable of creating a lot of stuff. They'll have Marianne Schred coming back. I think he'll be fine in the uh, UPL for for sure. Zubkov, Pachak and everyone else. Has Totovitsky gone? Oh, Totovitsky's... Uh, so Totovitsky's also potentially leaving for Polisia. Uh, that's just a rumour at the moment, not, not confirmed at time of recording. But... We've got a new incoming, and that obviously is Dimitro Riznik. Apparently, €3 million Euros plus bonuses from Vorskla, who are currently in a whole heap of mess with their owner, Kostjantir Shivago, uh, being under house arrest, I think, in France after being released on bail on corruption charges and being uh, awaiting uh, extradition to Ukraine to be tried for corruption and that kind of stuff. On top of that, his company, Ferex Pro, which used to or maybe still does sponsor Vorskla, they have gone, um, they've had their bank accounts arrested. And that means that obviously there's a massive mess there. And as a result, it looks like Dmitry Riznik is finally making that move to Shakhtar that we've been talking about since, you know, summer 2021. Funnily enough, Tassel to Care broke it first. They said that he's had the medical. At time recording, he's not officially signed, but he probably will be signed by the time everyone's listening to this. 
And then Fabrizio Romano, obviously, might not have so much content to come out in the month of February whilst everyone's having their hangover from the winter transfer break. So he's resorted to sharing some intra-club transfers from the UPL. And we've got no complaints about that. We love that. Fair play. And he's added as well, on top of the Riznik move that is close to happening or done deal, that they're also linked with a centre-back. So obviously someone coming in to replace Krivtsov potentially, even though we've listed all of those others. A Chilean, nonetheless, a Chilean international. I've looked at the their recent players, can't really guess who it would be. But um, Gary Medell, he's 35 and at Bologna, you never know. Uh, so yeah, Dnipro won to me certainly the winners of the transfer window and look to be on quite strong a strong title charge in both both the Europa Conference League the UPL because they've signed Jao Perglo who is a under 17 world cup winner with uh, Brazil uh, looks like a bit of a creative winger on the left um Ronald Matarita who's a Costa Rica international 50 caps, over 50 caps for Costa Rica, played at the World Cup. Not a starter, mind you, but decent. looks like a decent player to be bringing in. He can play uh, anywhere down the, I think, left-hand side. And so that's a good good addition. He's come in from MLS. So <laughs> Krivtsov's going over there, someone else coming in. I uh, think a lot of people were taken surprised by that one. Uh, Pasic, uh, Yevhen has moved to Dnipro 1-2 just, you know, to bolster the squad. He gets the odd goal in the UPL. Why not add some stuff? And then Heiner, who's a, um, I think, a Brazilian defender that they've brought in there. So all together, all together, they look pretty good. And I think the key thing for Dnipro 1 is they've lost to nobody or nobody key. They've obviously got rid of like Busanello, who's not become back. They had a couple of players from Metalist obviously training with them, but I think the majority have returned to to train with Metalist in Turkey now. And it just looks like they're going to be very hard to stop with, you know, Dovbik and everyone else remaining there. And fingers crossed, you know, obviously the, them in the league is the issue, but I feel that it should be positive for Ukraine in coefficient that they should do quite well in Europe, fingers crossed with the kind of signings that they've made. You know, obviously that bogey team, AK Larnaca, coming up in the next couple of weeks. But um, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed there. We do need some coefficients still when when that kicks off in two weeks' time. Uh, Elsewhere, still no manager for the national team. Ray, what are they going to do next month? They figure something out. I mean, it's Pavelka. In Pavelka, we trust. Uh, same as we've been saying all over, all over and over again, right, guys? I would just want to jump in, uh, in in context of national team. Uh, those transfers don't help national team a bit. Those transfers are not telling me anything about Ukrainian football's future. It's a mess. It's a typical uh, asylum. What should change in people's heads so they wouldn't end up buying Brazilian defenders again? What's next? We're gonna buy English goalkeepers? We never had one in the league. No, and that's a shame. No, no, no. We should have one in the end. But bottom line is, um, we we might not even remember those guys' names in the end of the season. I mean, you mentioned Ramirez. I, I Unless you told me that he was a Dynamo player, I would not uh, remember him. 
And now remember guys like Vitor Bueno and Cheche in Dinamo, and those are those were Krasnikov men. And we're talking about Nipro, uh, fake Nipro as the um, champions of transfer window. Is that a title? I mean, it's not as it's, it's good a title as a uh, winter cup for uh, police in Turkey or whatever. They're going <laughs> to play it again. Yeah. So my point is, uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I mean, what can I say, guys? Dear audience, uh, the Ukrainian clubs are looking forward to the new path in their history. They lost their key players. They got money for them. They got prestige. You know, they got the mention in the news, in the world football um, map. They got put on there because the transfers out coming from the Ukrainian club, they are okay. So they are decent players, right? And what do we have in as a, as a return? We don't know. We're not looking at uh, something like young minds uh, leading uh, our football, uh, the creation way, or we've been talking about this for ages, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't look like that yet. What's going to change? Like We need six months to change it? Or how how much time? What's next? No idea. Sad, sad, sad. I have to agree with you. You know, I I giggled today when I read Dinamo were linked with uh, a winger centre forward from the third division of the Brazilian league as a replacement for all their problems there. I mean, what's going on there? I for me the answer is quite clear. The ownership is is wrong and administration is wrong. But how it gets changed, I have no idea. I, I, I really shake my head at times at, at it. But, you know, the fact that the national team doesn't have a manager going into March, it's another symptom of this weak administration that rules over the game and doesn't allow a proper growth in the football. I mean, who, who else? I can't think of another nation that releases their coach and then doesn't have one ready for start of the next qualification period. I mean, the people at home, if, if, if you know someone, I would love to know of another national team that has done that. And, and to do it at this time in, in Ukraine's history as well, they're like the eyes of the world is on Ukraine. The, the support for Ukraine across the world is immense, you know. It's basically to Fuck it up so badly. It's yeah, it's disgraceful, really. From 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 my eyes. But hey, yeah, March will be an interesting affair for the national team, of course. Yeah, Andrew, well, uh, you're going to be there, aren't you? Yeah, no. Well, at the moment, uh, Pavelko confirmed that this uh, meeting that he did a few weeks ago that was margin controversy and uh, everything else uh, that Rebrov is the number one choice he didn't elaborate on that any further sadly in terms of what stage it's in or anything like that but he said yes there is a plan b and there is also a plan c what that means is also obviously completely not unknown because as we found out back in the summer of 2021 alexander petrikov was probably plan b e or f kind of thing because that was very much a sort of a last minute thing and you know, sadly, it didn't spout the results that everyone had hoped. The question right now is that obviously there's always talks coming out every other day from the likes of Yehud Borobas or Yehud Sahanek or whoever saying, oh, Serhira Brov is currently in talks with Alain management about, you know, cancelling his contract early and all this kind of stuff. But in reality, for I think the amount of money that OAF would need to pay 
to get him out of that contract, you know, six months early or however, or mid-season, it's probably going to be a lot more, especially the fact that Alain are actually currently in a title race again. Um, they've had a really good uplift in form, coinciding with Yermolenko finally finding his feet out there, scoring um, three goals in his last four games. And, you know, it's, it's and then there's currently rumours that Yermolenko is moving to Dynamo Kiev this month. But I do not think that's going to happen. Um, I think maybe in the summer, if it does. But right now, for certain, especially with him actually performing, doesn't make any sense for him to leave six months into his contract and Dynamo are certainly not going to pay to break that I don't think for any perspective especially with what is on offer for the remainder of the season title title race out of their hands and no Europe so what would be the point in really signing anyone um on a grand scale of things I think until until the summer on top of that uh, there's already been rumours that potentially the backroom staff of Serhi Dubrov will include uh, good old Vicente Gomez from Olympic Donetsk um, back in the day, who's currently his assistant at Alain. So he would just be his assistant there. One of his other assistants apparently might not be joining him. I can't remember his name. And Rustam Hujamov, the, the legendary goalkeeper, might be his goalkeeping coach. That's currently unclear. I mean, at the moment, based on literally just sort of thinking about the possibilities, it's unlikely it will be like someone like Mihaila Chenko or any one of the exec, the UAF people that will be given the job. It might even be Ruslan Rotan. You know, he gets given the job for those two games or takes it over until Rebrov comes in in the summer, potentially. Whilst the under-21s who are preparing for the Euros probably play their friendlies that they're probably going to have in, that they have got in March um, with a with a you know his assistant at the helm. Who knows? It, it's that's completely sort of like a just a scenario, a possible scenario. No idea if that is would is even being considered or anything. But I mean, we don't know anything right now, and we don't know when it's going to get announced. And with regards to Zbirna's expected friendly that's meant to be played on the twenty third of March before the England game. So a warm up to it. Victor Vasco has revealed <laughs> that Zbirna are going to be playing against another club side again. Remember we had all those games in May and it was very weird. It didn't go on anyone's records and all of that. Allegedly, Vasco believes it's going to be against Brentford or a Brentford B side or, well, certainly without their international stars that will be going off on their own. Uh, international break so that's going to be relatively interesting obviously there's a lot of some hate coming out on that why can't Ukraine just play against normal national teams and have games that are going to count and all that kind of thing albeit I kind of get the reasoning for it apparently there aren't many UEFA nations that can play against Birna on that window because there's um, I think it's only Albania and someone else that I can't remember can't remember off the top of my head and both of those sides obviously something could be arranged with them but the fact of the matter is whoever is going to be the manager whenever this game begins will arrive obviously in London that they could play at Brentford Stadium play that game there and then prepare for the game at Wembley as well so it will be sort of limited travel and all that disruption which potentially a friendly against another European nation could could affect Albeit the preparation, regardless, is going to be complete mayhem until the actual 
national team manager is uh, announced for that game, be it a caretaker or whoever, because we still don't know who he's got to name a squad. Uh, people got to get visas if they want to be added to that and all everything else. Victor Fratsko actually added that. He thinks that Petrakov was the guy that arranged this friendly in general back last year because obviously of his close ties with Thomas Frank and everything. And he said, yeah, it could work because obviously logistically everything I just mentioned. Uh, but obviously Petrakov's no longer the national team manager. He's with Armenia. So will that have any impact on it? Who knows? As a... If you look on Wikipedia, apparently Ukraine are playing against Ecuador in Alicante, Spain on the 24th, which seems very unlikely to play a game two days before. But as a few of our followers and listeners have said on social media, they said that people are adding loads of fake fixtures to Wikipedia all the time. So read that with what you will. But we're waiting the official announcement that potentially there could be two Ukraine games in London in March. Well, before we go, though, tonight, it would be wrong of us not to touch on the Olympics and uh, what is really disgusting statements coming out from the International Olympic Committee, horrifying thoughts that, for me personally, you know, I've, I've been watching Olympics since 1988 and to have so many memories tarnished by what is being suggested by the IOC, it's you know it's it's, it's very upsetting. The thought that we want are, are even considering allowing um, athletes from the the war mongering countries, the the invading countries. Um, I mean, Andrew, there's been talk of the boycott. Um, it would have my support. Um, what sort of the general feeling amongst journalists is it? Where's this headed? It's actually unclear. The uh, Ukrainian National Olympic Committee have had a meeting. I think that 97% of the members voted uh, that they would be in favour of a boycott, but actually no decision has been made as to whether they would make a boycott. That apparently will come in a few months' time. Um, so we'll have to wait and see for that. But I mean, could they not have just said that sort of straight away during this meeting that they had recently? It's more problems that we can see in the running of sport in Ukraine, sadly. Uh, but I think one thing that is clear is that uh, the a lot of athletes such as uh, Alina Svitolina, Dishevchenko and others have voiced their sort of support for Ukraine saying that no Russians or Belarusians should be play should be taking part under a neutral flag because we've seen what's happened when you play under a neutral flag anyway like they did playing under the ROC uh recently when they had the drugs ban and everything like that they get home and they're paraded anyway as national heroes because they're not actually stateless or anything they are still athletes from that country and when they return they are they are treated as such. And, you know, we just saw at the Australian Open in tennis, for anyone who follows, how badly allowing them to compete as neutrals results in, because you're going to get loads of supporters coming in with Russian flags. You get loads of people, you get the winners like Sabalenka pretending, obviously, that she's um, neutral, 
but she had a training camp in Russia before she went to Australian Open. She's she, on on Belarusian TV. They had the Belarusian flag on their pirated version of showing the match that she was playing in in the final. Lukashenko was toasting to her straight away afterwards. And it would be the exact same, you know, if a Russian did it. If a Russian won, they'd be being, you know, Putin would be congratulating them and all that kind of thing. So time will tell. One thing that's obviously connected to the Olympics and football is that if Ukraine's under 21s, I think, finish in the top three or four of the Euros this summer, they will play at next year's Olympics. So we will see what happens um, regarding that. And I think on the note of our Euro under 21s, a great draw for the next qualifying campaign. We've not even had uh, the tournament yet for this one, but the next qualifying campaign sees a lot of the loves of Adam's life coming together into into <laughs> one group. England, Luxembourg, Ukraine. We've also got Serbia and Azerbaijan. Well, they're not right. loves of my love, mate. No, obviously not. But I mean, that's just the rest of the, the teams in the team. It's going to be going to be a busy a busy campaign. Put it that way. And Northern Ireland, I forgot yeah. Northern Ireland. Um, so you got we got all the British British representatives in there, Luxembourgish, and obviously Ukraine. Fingers crossed for everyone we've mentioned this in this episode for them to actually have, I don't know, positive second halves of the season because. Um, these moves obviously mean a lot for Ukraine and for the national team. In fact, all of these moves should benefit the national team in terms of the Ukrainians moving to better leagues, becoming better players, and then obviously helping the national team in that result. But this might be the end of the era of an era for the UPL in terms of the powerhouse that it used to be for Ukrainian talent and for how good it it was continuing to be despite the adversity it had. Now it's got no foreigners and it's lost a lot of its stars. Will we be seeing a sort of a drop into the likes of, you know, the extra classer or even sort of the Croatian league, you know, where they don't really perform, aside obviously from uh, Dinamo Zagreb, they don't have that many teams that are of a high level playing in Europe. The whole league's not that competitive. Time will tell, but... um, Interesting, interesting January, wasn't it, guys? And fingers crossed for an even more exciting February. And obviously, with it coming up to a year of since the full-scale invasion began, I'm sure that there's going to be lots and lots of reflection going on what's happened over the past year to Ukraine, but also Ukrainian football in our context. Definitely so, definitely so. Been really interesting conversation tonight, guys. Ray, I hope you've enjoyed it. As, as much as I have. Great to see the passions coming out about the administrative side of football there. Uh, we're going to be back in, what, around two weeks' time. We'll be coming back for the, the European Games. Shakhtar, Fate the Negro, sadly not Dinamo this time around. And we'll be having a closer look at how the teams have been performing in the run-up to the, the restart of the league. It's going to be the end of February, isn't it, when the when the league restarts? That's it for today. Uh, and to everyone at home, uh, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. Bye bye.